Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Crime Lab here at Liquid Church. In fact, uh, let's go ahead and welcome those of us joining us from Nutley, New Brunswick, Mountainside, those watching online, listening to the radio. So good to see you guys. So good to be with you. Uh, my name is Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are in the home stretch of this series, Cold Case Christianity, a series where basically we've been using the field-tested skills of homicide detectives to examine the hard evidence, the clues, and the truth claims of Christianity. And last week was really special because we got to hear from Jay Warner Wallace, Jim Wallace, okay? Many of you I know bought his book and have been reading it ever since, okay? He is a real-life Los Angeles homicide detective who was a devout atheist for 35 years until one day he just decided, you know what, I'm going to use the skills I do on the field, my homicide detective skills, to actually test the assertions found in the Bible. And he concluded this, he said, the historical case for Christianity is as convincing as any case he has ever worked on in a lifetime of serving the law enforcement. Uh, So folks, if you missed last week, that's definitely a message you are going to want to download. Just go to liquidchurch.com where you can download all of our messages absolutely free. But don't do it now, okay? Just don't do it now. Stick with me here because today we are going to have a lot of fun as we examine the evidence, the truth claims found in the Gospels by using two very unique perspectives, two uh, simple questions. The first one is, what do I see? What do I see? This is the question that any detective worth his salt would ask him or herself when they first walk in to a crime scene. What do I see? Let's take a look at the evidence. Are there any clues? What do I see? The second question, the second perspective that we want to consider is this. What do they say? This is a question that you would ask the eyewitnesses. What do the eyewitnesses actually say about what has happened? In the case of the New Testament, what do the eyewitnesses or the apostles, what do they actually say about Jesus Christ and his claims and what he did and what, uh, who he says he is? What do I see and what do they say? Now, this is going to be a lot of fun, but understand, understand this. I don't want this to just to be like this mental exercise, okay? As a matter of fact, my heart and my prayer this entire week has been this. I was praying that God would give us the heart and the spirit of the Bereans. You see, I want to be a good Berean, and I've been praying that you would be a good Berean too. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I thought Pastor Tom was Korean. Oh my goodness, just, just, just do me a favor, okay? Turn with me in your Bibles very quickly now to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 17. It's found on page 772, and let me show you exactly what I mean here, okay? I want to introduce you to these people called the Bereans. In fact, this verse is going to serve as our sort of anchor verse for today. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, let's read this together. It says this, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. 
Thessalonians. Now, why is that? I mean, the Thessalonians were decent people, right? Uh, they, they had a letter written to them, all that stuff. But for why? For they received the message with great eagerness, and what did they do? They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. In other words, the Bereans, they didn't just accept the Bible and sort of check their brains in at the door. That's not what they did. They didn't just take blind leaps of faith. You know, you know what I'm talking about? No. Instead, what the Bereans did was they would hear the message and then they would go back home and they would examine the scriptures every day to see if what this guy was saying, what this apostle Paul was saying was actually true. In other words, they actually used their mind. Some of you know earlier in the New Testament, in the Gospels, there were these religious professionals of the day, and they would constantly go around trying to stump Jesus, trying to corner Jesus. And one day, one of these professional religious people, one of these Pharisees, comes up to Jesus, and and he actually says, you know, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Like, like if if I only obey one, what's the one I need to obey? Uh, Jesus continues, he replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your what? Mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And you know something? The Bereans took that seriously. They took it literally. They wanted to love God with all of their heart and with all of their soul and with all of their mind. You see, the Bereans were not the type of people that said, oh, let's just let go and let God. Oh, just, you know, just believe and receive. Just name it and claim it, right? They, they were not those type of folks. You know what I'm saying? No, the Bereans examined the scriptures every day to determine whether or not it was true. The Bereans would have made awesome detectives. What does the evidence say? Does the evidence actually stack up? See, these are questions that not only good detectives ask, but these are the type of questions you and I, everyone listening should be asking themselves as well, whether you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ or not. See, I I know that this may surprise some of you, but I'm actually not a homicide detective. (laughs) Neither am I the son of a homicide detective. I don't even play a homicide detective on TV, okay? None of that. But I do know this one thing. Whether you're examining the hard evidence of a cold case or just simply reading the scriptures and the truth claims of the Bible, it all starts with this very first question that every detective worth his or her salt would ask. And that first question is simply this. What do I see? What do I see? I'm walking onto this crime scene. What does the evidence show me? Very simple. What do I see? This is about observation. It is not about interpretation, which is what do you think? 
right? That's, that's an entirely different question. No, first, we have to start with the first question, and that is, what do I see? So let's say, let's just pretend right now, okay, that you are a detective, and you are called into a scene like this, all right? You see, you walk into a room for the first time, and you see this. Now, you have to understand, okay, you've been a seasoned detective for a while now, okay? Just work with me here, okay? So you already know there are only four ways a person can die. It can be a natural death. It can be an accidental death. It can be a suicide, or it could be a homicide, Okay, you're a homicide detective, so you want to determine which one it is. But honestly, just looking at this picture, there's no possible way that you could know which of those four type of deaths it is. Right. There's no way by what you see, you can eliminate any of those options. But what if you walked into this scene right here? If if you saw this. All right. You're seeing a lot more, right? I mean, you see different things here. You see, first of all, a pool of blood, okay? You see uh, open wounds in the back over here. You you see a knife in his back, all right? Uh, You see even a trail of bloody footsteps walking away from the body. You see a lot more. So now, so now we can very reasonably and rationally with our minds start to eliminate certain theories and we can actually arrive at a reasonable conclusion that, you know something, this was not a nat- no one dies naturally like this, okay? Uh, uh, this was not accidental, okay? Let's just be serious here, okay? Probably not suicide either. I mean, you, it's hard to, I mean, he gets really up there, right? This is a case of homicide, and we came to that conclusion very rationally based on eliminating things, based on answering the question of what do I see? We all get that, but the problem is whether we're talking about a crime scene or truth claims from the scriptures, we all, every single, I'm so guilty of this, we all have the tendency to blow right by observations what we see and skip right to interpretations what we think. What does it mean? See, we're supposed to start with what we see, but we think we see everything, we think we got it, all right, I I know what's going on, and we jump right into interpretations right? What we think. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. Somewhere in between what I see and and my interpretation of what I see, somewhere in between this right here, we miss a whole lot of things. Sometimes we even tend to see things that aren't really there. We we tend to arrive at at, at ill-informed conclusions. We we just, we, we make this huge jump and we make mistakes because of it and wrong interpretations because of it. Don't believe me? <laughs> Let's see. Lola, gehst du einkaufen? Ich brauche Shampoo. Natürlich. Ich habe gewusst, dass du ein Schützer aus Sintent hast. Doch. Ja, nicht darüber nachdenken. Weiß ich nicht. Und? Du bist doch auch 
So guys, what did you see? Right now we've got some ushers and they are handing out a pop quiz. Everybody in here gets a pop quiz, all right? Welcome to school. School is in session right now, all right? See, here, here you go. Here's the deal, okay? Back when I was in seminary, this is many, many moons ago, one of my professors, Howard Hendricks, he sprang a actual genuine FBI assessment video that they actually used back in the day to screen potential agents and determine how sharp were their observation skills. They simply wanted to test and see what did you see. And so our little exercise right now, it's going to serve a very similar purpose, okay? I couldn't get my hands on that FBI film, but this is this this will do, okay? You just witnessed everyone here. You just witnessed an unannounced short video, okay? So now go ahead and try to answer those questions in the sheet in front of you, okay? I'm going to give you a couple seconds here. Go ahead, try to answer them as many as you can, all right? Now, as you're answering them, you need to understand that the real FBI exam I took over, you know, several years ago had over 100 questions, as I remember it, and we only had about a minute or two to answer as many questions as we could, okay? I've only given you 12 questions, all right? So guess what? Your time is up. Stop. <laughs> all right? What did you see? Did anyone think that they answered all 12 questions correctly? Go ahead and raise your hand. Anybody? Any? All 12. No one here, okay? But you know what? We don't have the time to go through all 12 of them, but let, let's just go through a couple here just to give you an idea, all right? Uh, like, like the opening scene. Let's take that third question there. Is there a vacuum cleaner in the hallway she's running through? Very loudly. What do you think? Is there a vacuum cleaner? Yes, there is, actually. It's on the left-hand side. You can review the tape later, okay? Uh, how about uh, inside the room? How many hairpins are in the ladies here? Very loud, very loud. Four. How many? Zero. No, there are actually two. There are two hairpins in, in her hair. Uh, how many Ottomans are in the room? Zero. Zero Ottomans. Uh, what color is Lola's watch? Black. I, heard, I think I heard it. Blue, yellow? She's not wearing a watch. Uh, okay, how about this one? Uh, how many balconies does the building have that, she, that is directly behind her? She's running to the gate, right? She's running to the gate. How many balconies behind her? Five, six, three. All right. Uh, what about this last one? Last one here. Last one. Okay. Uh, at the very end there, right? She, she bumps into that, that, that other woman, right? She's kind of cranky. She yells something at her, and, and she's got this like a shopping cart. What's inside of the shopping cart? 
It's not a shopping cart. It's a stroller with a baby in it. You got one right. Congratulations. Make a fine FBI agent, all right? Not so easy, right? It's not so easy. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're a homicide detective or just someone trying to read your Bible on a Monday morning. We could all, we could all be better at seeing things, taking time to clearly see, investigate, and examine what is directly in front of us. So you guys see, even in reading our Bible, sometimes we go through it so fast and we think we know what's there so much that we just blow right by and we miss seeing a lot. But if you're a good Berean, okay, and you examine the scriptures every day, do you know, do you know, if you read the scriptures every day, you examine it carefully. What do I see? What do I see? Like a good brain. Do you know what you start seeing throughout the whole Bible? Do you know what you see? Contradictions. Yeah. You start seeing lots of contradictions. You heard me right. You start seeing contradictions when you read through very carefully the scriptures. Some of you are like, uh, what? Am I in church still? Is that what that's... Yeah, but honest moment here, honest moment. Part of the issue that I've seen many skeptics have with Christians, with Christianity, with church, and I actually, I can't blame them to be completely honest, is that oftentimes those of us in church, like myself included especially, we're unwilling to genuinely face the facts, sometimes the very facts that are in our own text. And so the skeptic's perception is that, you know what, Christians, they just tend to hide in this sort of spiritual cloud, the Shekinah glory, okay? And they declare things like, you know what, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, right? That's the perception that many skeptics have of us. The only problem is our approach is not only not rational, but it's also not biblical. I'm speaking about me here. I'm speaking about us. Did you know that later on in the New Testament, 1 Peter, it actually says this. 1 Peter puts it this way. Always be prepared to give an answer. The Greek word used there is the word defense. It's a legal term. Always be prepared, Peter is saying, is to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give the what? reason for the hope that you have. Peter says you need to have a defense for the reason you have hope in Christ. Now, I am pretty sure that a tired cliche on a bumper sticker is not what the apostle Peter had in mind when he said, be prepared with a reasonable defense. You know, some of you may have read this uh, recent CNN article. It was a great article. It's called Why Millennials Are Leaving the Church. Have you read this? Okay. Amazing article. And in it, the reporter Rachel Evans mentioned how the latest research shows, quote, young evangelicals often feel they have to choose between their intellectual integrity and their faith. But you know something? doesn't have to be this way but it starts honestly it starts by asking ourselves what do we see when we read this 
And, and, and if you come across a contradiction, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that piece of evidence? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to sweep it under the rug? Are you going to pretend that it doesn't exist? Are you going to try to change the topic? Or will you deal with that piece of evidence honestly? Examine it carefully. Now, guys, I get that this can be a little bit unnerving. I get that this can be very intimidating, okay? In fact, I remember, true story, I remember back when I was in college many moons ago, I was taking this like intro to world history class. I forget what it was, whatever. It's at a little secular school here, okay? And, And the professor, he just made this very quick passing statement. It wasn't even part of his main lecture. It wasn't even part of his point. He just made this kind of quick statement, but it rocked my world. It's like, what? Here's what he said, okay? He, he said something like this. He said, no one will ever argue that a historical figure named Jesus was crucified in front of many people. No one's going to argue that. I was just like, all right, yeah, okay, this is good. Then he continues, and he said, what's problematic, however, is that all four of the self-proclaimed eyewitnesses, all four of the gospel writers can't agree on any of the details. What? And then he continues. He says, Jesus was crucified on a cross. Yes? Yeah. Yeah, we all know that. Okay. Uh, There was a sign posted on that cross, right? All four gospel writers talk about that sign. The problem is, All four gospel writers say that the sign said something different. They all contradict one another. And I just, I'm kind of getting chills right now. I just remember even when I heard, I was like, what? And my heart just dropped. I was like, what is going, that guy, I don't know what version he's reading, but like, it can't be right. So I remember after that class, running back to my dorm room, finding my Bible and looking it up. And you know what? Sure enough, he's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. I mean, you know, Matthew says one thing. Mark says something else. Luke says something completely different. And and John, John's not even on the same planet, okay? You can see for yourself. I don't know where he comes up with that, okay? So what do you do with that? I mean, how is that even possible? Or how about this, you know, take this other very popular argument from skeptics about how the chronological order of the gospel, the gospels are supposed to be eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life in person, okay? How, why is it, skeptics ask, that the chronological order of Jesus' life in all four of the gospels do not match? They are all out of order. What is up with that? Or how about this one? This is, this is a very easy one here. Another pop quiz, okay? Don't worry, it's easier than the one you just had, okay? Uh, Jesus was betrayed by someone who kissed him. Who was that person? Judas, Judas exactly. Okay, now, great. Got, you got that right. How did Judas die? Okay, he killed himself. How did he kill himself? Oh, I see. Well, you know, if you're a good Berean, right, here's what you'll see. If you turn to the Gospel of Matthew like a good Berean, what you will see is that Matthew says Judas died how? How did he die? He hanged himself. The only problem is later on in the New Testament, we have another eyewitness account who says something completely different. 
This is what it says later on in the book of Acts. It says that there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. That is a very vivid and different description than the one that the Matthew gives, right? See, many of you what, do you, what do you actually do with that? Many of you are wondering this. One eyewitness says this, another eyewitness says that. I mean, who do you actually believe? Or, or maybe, maybe we should just dismiss it all together because actually that's, that's what a lot of skeptics do, right? They, they come across these contradictions, right? And they're like, this is the one thing, this is another thing. You're saying that it's the word of God. You're saying that it's an error. I just don't get it. I just, whatever. Like, I'm glad that it works for you, but I'm just, I'm too smart for that. I'm too rational. I'm too reasonable for that. It, it doesn't work for me. You know, many of you guys actually have. You have coworkers. You have friends. You have neighbors. You have family members. Maybe you even have someone in your own house who has actually stepped away, not like belligerently, but like actually very thoughtfully. They have stepped away. They have pushed away from the discussion table because you know what? It just doesn't make sense. Thanks, but no thanks. Because you, you, I see all these contradictions and you, you, you can't give me anything. You, you, you keep talking about like the heart and like the spirit and all that stuff. See, did the sign on Jesus's cross say Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, or did it just say the king of the Jews, or maybe it was a third or, or, or a fourth option? Did Judas hang himself or not? Did he, did he, did he fall and all his, it just exploded all? What's the deal? What's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. Now, now stay with me here. Stay with me. Because this is our second major point of the day. And that is, what do they say? What do the eyewitnesses actually say what do the eyewitnesses the apostles say you, you got to remember now right we have four gospels in the new testament they are written by four different eyewitness accounts matthew mark luke and john and the fact that no two of them listen to me now this is very important the fact that no two of those eyewitnesses completely agree on every single detail did you know that that is actually a strong argument for the credibility of their witness, not against it. Did you know that? Once again, we have four eyewitnesses. None of them agree specifically, totally, all together, but that is actually an argument for their believability, their credibility, their veracity, not against it. See, in fact, in his book, J. Warner Wallace's book, Cold Case Christianity, okay, our speaker from last week cites section 105, of the Judicial Council of California, which reads this way, quote, jurors are instructed to be cautious not to automatically disqualify a witness just because some part of his or her statement may disagree with an additional piece of evidence or testimony. This is what happens now today in the court of law, okay? And then he concludes this way. Two people may witness the same event, yet see or hear it differently, end quote. This serves in today's court of law. Now, I want you to think of it this way, okay? Uh, if you're a parent with two or more kids, would you just go ahead and raise your hand? If you're a parent, nice and high, two or more kids. Okay, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Okay, good. Now, uh, I know that this probably just happens in my household, but I'm just going to ask it anyway. Do those two kids ever fight? Say amen if they ever do. Amen. amen. Oh, amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Okay. 
lot of believers over here, okay? All right, let's just pretend this. Just work with me here, okay? Let's just say you're a parent, it's a full house, it's a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, and the kids are just going crazy. Like, you think, like, someone's been murdered. You want to talk about cold case? Someone's been murdered upstairs, okay? They are just going at it. So you are the parent. You march on upstairs, and you are going to bring justice to this situation, okay? You are going there. You're going to break this thing up, and as soon as you get there, what happens? What do they say, right? They each give you their version of the story, right? Now, now here's the question, okay? Who's telling the truth? They both are. Or actually, I should ask it this way. Who's lying? They both are, right? (laughs) You get the picture, right? You know what I'm saying? This is why we need to constantly be asking ourselves as we read through the scriptures, what do the eyewitnesses, what does it all say? Don't just read one section for that section. What do the other things in the Bible say? What do the eyewitnesses say? Even if it seems contradictory at the time, you want to know what the eyewitnesses say because here's the deal. Oftentimes, the other perspectives are providing just that. They're providing other perspectives, other angles, other views of the same exact picture. See, each eyewitness says something different because they're coming at it from different angles. You know, John was a fisherman. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. Luke was a doctor. So they all come from very different perspectives. And with each unique view... The reader, you and I, we get a more complete, a more whole view of the entire picture. In fact, some of you have heard, some of you have heard the Gospels called, a very technical term called the Synoptic Gospels, right? Have you heard that? Yeah, I see some of you nodding. The Synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic is a very simple, it's a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word, which means sin, sin, which means together, and opus or optic, which means a view. It's a view that comes together with other views. In other words, together, together we have a more full view. Together we have a more full view. I need you to think of it this way, okay? Think of it like this. I look at this picture and I see a military uniform, perhaps someone about to go into battle. But the thing is, you look at this picture right here, And you see a little girl, and she is miserable, not having a good day. That is your view. But together, when we combine our views, we see this. We get the whole picture. It's not a man going into a war. She is having a bad day. But you know what? Those two are having the time of their lives, a fairy tale-like wedding. Do you see what's happening there? Together, our views come together, and we see a more robust, full picture. One more example, okay? I look at a picture like this, all right, and I see opening day. All right, go Yankees. Who's excited about baseball, right? Maybe we've got some Met fans here. I don't know, okay? So I see opening day, all right? But then you look at this picture, all right, and your view might be this. You might be seeing a, 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 little, a little baby boy, right, safe and secure in, in the arms of someone that, that loves this boy, okay? That may be your view. But together, when we put all of our views together... <laughs> when we put all of our views together, we all see a mother that has to do everything, right? I mean, look at this guy right here. Her husband's just like, my goodness, got to do everything, my goodness. 
Folks, <laughs> is this starting to make a little bit of sense now? Do you see why and how we actually benefit from all these different views to give us the whole big picture, the whole big perspective? Why it's so important to ask, what do the eyewitnesses actually say? How the synoptic gospels actually give us a more robust and full view of Jesus, not a contradictory one. Now, for, for some of you, I realize, okay, I kind of left you on a cliff there, and, and you're still wondering about those three little situations that I brought up earlier. Well, you need to understand this. The four different accounts uh, of what's written on Jesus' cross is actually a very simple explanation. It's actually found in John, and I also believe in, in, in the Luke account as well. And history says this as well, that that sign that was on Jesus' cross, yes, that's true, and that was there, and Jesus was crucified. But that sign was actually written in three different languages, the three most common languages of the day, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And so what happened is these four eyewitness accounts, one writer translated one language, another writer translated a second language, a third writer translated a third. And Mark, Mark just does what he always does. He summarized everything into one. Mark was a very, he was a man of very few words. He was a man's man, right? So that's why we have the shortest account from Mark who actually said the king of the Jews. That's simple, okay? Here's the deal. What about, what about this whole Judas thing, all right? Well, like, what was that? Did he, did he, did he hang himself or did he, did he fall? Yes, yes. Because, you see, you have to realize neither description, him falling or him hanging himself, actually contradict one another. In fact, think of it like this. Could it be possible? Could it be possible that Judas did hang himself and then that noose broke from the weight of his body, causing him to fall? Is that a possibility? Is that probable? absolutely, when you're trying to hang yourself, I mean, you don't have a lot of help there, that's absolutely possible. Stranger things have happened. Or, or, or how about that last one? Okay, what about the fact that the chronological order of all four gospel accounts is never the same? They're all out of order. What's that about? Well, that's actually true. The, the chronological order in all four gospel accounts is uh, totally different there, and that would only be a problem, however, if all four gospel writers said something like, you know what, I'm going to give you a chronological orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry. But the fact of the matter is, none of them said that except for maybe Luke. So the fact that they're not in chronological, uh, chronologically synced together is not actually a problem. See, folks, we could do this all day with has however many contradictions as you think that you can come up with. See, for every seemingly obvious contradiction, there is always, I promise you, there is always a plausible and reasonable answer. I promise you. I, I spent years studying this stuff. I love studying this stuff. And I just promise you, you just, you're not going to get stumped. You're not going to stump God. You're not going to stump, stump the word of God. Here's the deal. It just, it just may mean, however that you may need to adopt the attitude of the Bereans, and that is to search and examine and investigate the scriptures every day to see if it's actually true. And here's the deal. It all starts with those first two questions. What do I see? This is having the mindset of a detective, a cold case detective. And number two, what do they say? Examine the actual eyewitnesses, the writings of the apostles. 
Now, for those of you interested in some more of these tools, especially with Easter rolling around, right, and maybe you've got a friend or family, a coworker, or someone that you know that could really kind of dig into this stuff, okay, I want to point you to a couple other great resources. You guys already know all about Cold Case Christianity, Jay Warner Wallace. Make sure that you pick this up. Make sure that you watch uh, last week's message. It's awesome. I'm not going to say anything more about that. It is absolutely amazing. But Here's another one that, that you, may, you may love this one, actually. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. This one actually impacted my faith walk in tremendous ways. Let me tell you something about the author Lee Strobel here. Uh, Lee Strobel got his law degree from a little podunk place called Yale Law School, okay? And, and, then, and then he became the editor of the law section at the Chicago Tribune. So kind of a smart guy, okay? Um, he actually, this book is an awesome book. He walks through his faith journey. He was an atheist. He became a Christian by the end of the book because he interviewed 13 of the leading evangelical scholars of the day. He gets into the history, the archaeology, the philosophy, all that stuff, and he comes out a believer in the end. You have to read this book, especially if there's a skeptic in your life. I recommend this highly to that person. You know, the more academic they think they are, the rational, you know, all that stuff, this is the book for them. Finally, this last book here, More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell, okay? If you're not a voracious reader, this is less than 150 pages. And I have still, to this day, I have not come across a book that uh, has affected as many lives in less than 150 pages as this book, More Than a Carpenter. You can read it in one sitting. Make sure that you pick this up. It is absolutely awesome. But here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. They say that the greatest distance in all of the galaxy is the 18 or so inches from here to here. Right here. This, this, this gap right here. And so beyond all of these books and, and the acumen that they represent, okay, beyond all the studies, okay, beyond all the expert forensic evidence, okay, even beyond all the debates and seemingly contradictory, you know, problems and solutions out there, my prayer for everyone here is that God would simply be true to himself, that God would simply answer his own promise to everyone. It's a promise that's found in the Old Testament prophetic book of Jeremiah, which says this. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek with all your what? Your heart. Do you want to find God? Is there someone in your life that is truly searching hunting for God. Do you know someone like that? Well, then you need to understand that God promises he will be found by the heart that seeks, by the heart that searches through the scriptures and examines the evidence. God will be found by the heart that seeks after him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for revealing yourself to me and for so many people here, Lord. It's not because of our rationale. We didn't, we didn't logically, rationally accept you. That was actually a movement by you first towards us, a movement of your love and of your compassion. But I do pray, Father, that you would help each and every single one of us, wherever we are on this spiritual journey, to love you more with all of our heart, 
with all of our soul and with all of our mind. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you are inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.